Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Before you came to Christ, the Holy Spirit was with you, convicting you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But the moment you gave your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit came in. He's inside of you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that no one can say Jesus is Lord but by the power of the Spirit. doesn't mean you can't say those words. It means you can't say them and mean them. You can't say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit being inside of you. What makes us different from the world as Christians is nothing found in us or of us. It's nothing about us. It's the Holy Spirit who resides inside of us when we invite Jesus into our hearts and invite His Spirit to guide our every move, our lives, our actions, our words. In fact, the Bible tells us it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can proclaim Jesus is Lord. With more on the power and gifts of the Spirit at a 1 Peter 4, 7-11, through 11, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Faith is the means by which you are saved. Without faith, you can't be saved. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We are saved by grace through faith. It is not of your works, lest any man could boast. So faith is pretty amazing. Without it, you would find yourself separated from God forever. Hope is a pretty significant thing. If you don't believe that, try living without hope. I think that to be hopeless is probably one of the worst conditions that man can face when, when, when you are hopeless. It's why having Jesus in your life, no matter what comes your way, you always have the hope of eternity. You always have the hope that God is moving and working in your life. Now, faith and hope are great, but the greatest of these is love. Now, there's faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. He was trying to tell us the importance for you and I to walk in love. In fact, I think that if we don't walk in love, then we're not really followers of Christ. It is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But it's love. It's the means by which we know that we are mature. How do I know you're mature? Because I can quote the Bible. Because I can tell people what to do. Because I act spiritual. No, because you love one another. So love is the greatest that you and I can do amongst one another. And it becomes, it becomes that which the world sees and identifies in us as Christians. Now he says here, above all things, which is pretty, pretty good, above everything, have a fervent love for one another. Fervent. The word love means to be, an, it's unconditional love. Above all things, have a fervent love for one another. That we are just sold out on really loving one another. That that is our commitment to each other. That I believe that if we make that the number one priority in our Christian walk. You might say, you know, I'm just struggling with cussing. I'm trying to quit. When something goes wrong, there I go. So I'm just, the thing I'm really working on is no longer cussing. The thing you would need to work on really is walking in love above everything. And everything else will come in line. doesn't matter what it is. 
Love fulfills all the law and all of the prophets. And so while we are occupying and waiting for Jesus to return, we are, we are diligent in our prayers, but we also love one another because it says love covers a multitude of sins. I have said before that I would rather do what is wrong from the motive of love than to do the right thing from another motive. Because if my motive is love, if I love you and I am doing something because I love you, then even if it's wrong, love covers a multitude of sins because the motive is love. If you can do all kinds of other things, yea, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I become like sounding brass and a clanging gong, which by the way, is no fun to hear. Clanging gongs are no fun. You can have all knowledge. You can understand all mysteries. You can know whether or not Bigfoot really exists or Nessie. You can know it all, literally. But you know, love doesn't mean anything. You can give your body to be burned. And if you don't have love, it profits you nothing. So love becomes that thing that is, is everything for us. That if we make it our highest priority, everything else will fall into place. So in other words, no wonder he says, above all things, have a fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And connected to that, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. To be hospitable, the word hospitable here, it's an interesting word. It literally means to be found by a guest. That a, there's a guest out there and you make yourself able to be found by a guest. The Bible tells us that we need to be hospitable to strangers, the Bible says that the qualifications of a pastor is that he would be hospitable, that he would be found by a guest. He'd make himself available to be able to be found by a guest and be hospitable without grumbling. Because to be hospitable sometimes is a little bit of work. And then he says, as each one of you has received a gift, minister it to one another. We're to, above all things to have that fervent love and we're to be hospitable, but each one of us has received a gift and the purpose for that gift is to minister to each other. Now, listen carefully. Each one of us has received a gift. That means you. You say, everybody else in here has received a gift, but not me. Everyone in the body of Christ has received a gift. First of all, you receive the Holy Spirit, and then that's the gift of the Spirit, and then you received a gift of the Spirit. There's only one gift of the Spirit, that is not for service. That's what the word minister means. When it says minister it to one another, it's serve one another. I really wish it was even translated that way. As each one of you has received a gift, then serve one another with it. That's the idea. There's only one spiritual gift that is not for service. There's one spiritual gift that is for you. You know what, you know what that gift is? The most controversial of all the gifts. Does that give you any help? Tongues, right? Prophecy, meh, maybe a little controversial, but tongues. You know, you guys don't believe in the Holy Spirit, somebody told me years ago, because you don't leave room in between your worship songs to speak in tongues. We don't believe in the Holy Spirit, I said. We're a, we believe in a duity, not a trinity. We believe in the Father, the Son, and not the Holy Spirit. Of course, we believe in the Holy Spirit. And you relate speaking in tongues to believing in the Holy Spirit or to believing in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? People want to argue today about whether or not there's a baptism of the Spirit. 
Well, read Acts chapter 8 and tell me whether or not you think there's another experience with the Holy Spirit. You find that the gospel is preached in Samaria. You find that people get saved and baptized. And then when Peter and John show up, they haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit yet. And so they pray for them and they receive the Holy Spirit. And when Simon the sorcerer sees that they have the Holy Spirit, which is made manifest by gifts of the Spirit, then Simon wants to buy the power to fill people with the Holy Spirit. And Peter says to Simon the sorcerer, your money perish with you. And it is said in that text that they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. So it makes reference to the infilling of the Spirit being the baptism of the Spirit. Now you say, well, there's no other place in the Bible where it doesn't ever say directly that you're to be baptized in the Spirit, so I don't believe in the baptism of the Spirit. I don't care if you want to call it the baptism of the Spirit, the infilling of the Spirit, the empowering of the Spirit, the upon experience of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't matter to me. It's obvious that God gives His Spirit for power. And along with that power comes the gifts of the Spirit to be used by Him. That you and I, first of all, can minister to one another. Now, the Holy Spirit is with us before we're saved. When we go to Jesus and drink, Jesus said, if any of you come unto me and drink, out of you is gonna gush torrents of living water. That means everywhere you go, Christian, there are torrents of living water flowing out of you in the spiritual realm. You don't realize it. Sometimes we forget about it. We need to be reminded. That's why people around us go, I'm sick of you preaching at me. You're like, I didn't say anything to you. I mean, you're sick of me preaching at you. Because out of you is gushing torrents of living water. Before you came to Christ, the Holy Spirit was with you, convicting you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But the moment you gave your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit came in. He's inside of you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that no one can say Jesus is Lord but by the power of the Spirit. doesn't mean you can't say those words. It means you can't say them and mean them. You can't say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit being inside of you. So every Christian has the Holy Spirit inside of them. Jesus took his disciples after his resurrection, gathered them together, breathed on them, and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit. Then he told them to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came upon them. That upon experience. With, in, and upon. So they went to Jerusalem. And what a, what a scene anyway, by the way. You got 11 of the disciples there and Jesus breathes on them. Wonder what it looked like. You know, kind of a weird picture, isn't it? But they receive the Holy Spirit. Then they go to Jerusalem while they're hanging out there. Suddenly the Holy Spirit falls upon the room that they're in. There are tongues of fire on people's head and they start speaking in tongues. And the tongues that they're speaking in is different than you find explained in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. The baptism of the Spirit, this is the open door for the Spirit to come into the world. The day of Pentecost is like, it's like there is a dam that the Holy Spirit has been behind and God opens it up and the Holy Spirit comes rushing in. And there's tongues of fire on people's head and people are talking in tongues and they're talking in languages that are real earthly languages. They're not talking in a heavenly language as some try to say. We know that because in Acts chapter 2, when you read it, it says that there were people from all around the world, and it gives a list, and it says, how is it that we each hear you speaking in our own language? They heard them talking in their language, so they were talking in a language that they hadn't received. 
Later on, when tongues is described, it's described as you edifying yourself by praying in a language that you don't understand. Then there's a heavenly language that's mentioned. God does things in different ways. Now, the Gentile Pentecost was similar. Peter's up on a rooftop taking a nap. All of a sudden, in his dream, or God gives him a vision, it's trance, whatever, the sheet of food comes down of unclean food, and God says, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, no, I will not do that. I've never done that. I'm a good Jewish boy. He won't do it. God does it three times. And finally, he realizes that God wants to send him to Cornelius' house. God had not stopped them from going into a Gentile's house, but a good Jew wouldn't go into a Gentile's house. Peter walked in and he began to preach the gospel to him. And while he was preaching the gospel to him, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and they began to speak in tongues and magnify God. The tongues that they spoke was magnification. The tongues that they spoke was praises. In fact, every time you see tongues spoken, tongues are praises. You go to a church service and somebody speaks in tongues and somebody else says, thus saith the Lord, you are my people and I will bless you. And they say, well, that was the interpretation. No, it wasn't. Tongues is always magnification. Paul said, I would rather speak five words in my understanding than 5,000 words in a tongue. You glorify God well. That's, that's praise. You glorify God well, but the rest of the people aren't edified. So you go to church and one person's going to town. She came on a Honda left on a Kawasaki. Just going. You know, oh my shin, oh my shin, oh my shin, oh my shin. Just going to town. And they say, oh, how wonderful. We went to church and we're blessed. Well, you weren't blessed. They were blessed. And the Bible says if there's no interpreter, then keep silent and speak to yourself. A gal came up to me after a church service a while back and she wanted to argue about it. So I said, let's just go to the scriptures. And I'm so done with arguing. I said, let's just go we'll read the passage and see what it says. And you can make your decision from that. So then I read the passage where he says, when you're together, they're going to come in and think you're crazy. If everybody's speaking in tongues at the same time, so speak to yourself and to God. And she goes, yeah, that's why we speak in tongues. And I said, that's the opposite of what it says. <laughs> what you just said is the opposite of what it says. You can't read God's word and then say, it says the opposite of what it actually says. Now, because there's these things that happen, people are fearful to be open to the gifts of the Spirit. I heard somebody say one time that you better be careful when you ask God to fill you with the Spirit because there's one guy that prayed in tongues, there's another guy there that understood him, and that guy was cursing God in tongues. It never happened. I'm confident. I wasn't there, and it still didn't happen. How do I know? Because I'm not going to go, God, I want whatever you want. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Baptize me with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then God would go, hey, better be careful. A demon might come in and curse me. There's, there's never a problem with surrendering yourself to God. And one of the gifts, fruits of the spirit is self-control, which means even if you get, I have the gift of tongues. I pray in tongues. The spirit of the prophet is controlled by the prophet. That's why when somebody in church all says, thus saith the Lord, you go, hey, you're out of order. We're trying to teach the word here. I couldn't help it. The Holy Spirit made me do it. Well, one fruit of the Spirit is self-control. You can't just blurt out. I mean, you can if you want to, but it's not right. It's not decent. It's not in order. You're not going to go over to McDonald's afterwards and suddenly speak in tongues because you got filled with the Spirit and the person go, I'm sorry. 
Was that a Big Mac and fries? I don't understand. There's no reason to fear the Holy Spirit, and there's no reason to fear the gifts of the Spirit. There's no reason for us to say, I don't want what God wants for us. Instead, we should say, if you have not been filled with the Spirit, if you don't know whether you've been filled with the Spirit, is to say, Lord, fill me with the Spirit. God, fill me. Let me receive the gifts that you have for me, whatever that gift would be. It says, as each one of you has received a gift, minister those gifts to one another. And then it says, um, let him do it with the ability that God supplies, that in all things God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. Let it be with the ability that God supplies. There are talents that you are born with. You just have an aptitude for certain things. We call that being talented. Much like I am talented in singing. All right, the opposite of me being talented in singing. A talent is something that you're born with. You just kind of can pick it up. Some people are very athletic. They can pick up a football and they can throw it. Then there's some people that aren't all that athletic, but they learn how to throw a football. And it becomes a skill to them. Sometimes there's people who are talented that become skilled, even more skilled at it, and they become amazing at what they do. You guys have talents. You guys are the most talented group of people I've ever seen in my life. You guys are skilled. Some of you guys here, you're skilled in hanging drywall. And if we say, you know, we got a room, we got to put drywall in, let's get some people there. You show up on Saturday morning and you go, you know what, can you just get all these people out of here and let me go to town because I'll have this thing drywall before you know it. You weren't born with that talent. You weren't talented in drywall. You became skilled in drywall. Now it's good when your talents are used by God. The guys and gals that sing here, they're talented. And it's good that they're used by God. But they want it to be more than just their talent. They want a gift to worship, to lead worship. They want to be able to take their talent and have a gift, maybe even be skilled at it, talented, skilled, but then have a gift. Because you can be talented and you can be skilled at something and have nothing happen spiritually. That's, that's kind of the new move within churches today. The new move is to make things really slick. The new move is to, to choreograph worship. So all the people are like, at the same time. <laughs> They're worshiping and the whole group is going and when it's done right, it can be really like, it can give you Hollywood goosebumps. I, I, didn't, I didn't say Holy Ghost goosebumps, I said Hollywood goosebumps. Because it's all a production. It's such a production that you go, ooh, wow, that was really neat. You get that same feeling on Broadway. You go watch some big production and you go, wow, juicy cats, it was amazing. But there's nothing that happens in the spiritual realm. What you want is to be able to take whatever talents you've got and whatever skills you've got and receive a gift so that people go, I don't understand what happened, but God spoke to me. I don't understand what happened, but... God moved, and it was, it was amazing that we, when we use the gifts that God gives, read it again in verse 11, if anyone, well, verse 10, as each one has received a gift to minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. By the way, the word manifold there means this, it's a piece of equipment that goes between the block and the carburetor, and it, 
Manifold is named manifold for that reason because it takes the, the gas and it separates it. If it's a V8 to eight different parts, it divides it. So that's the manifold grace of God. It's the different grace of God. That God puts the grace on you different than me. Even people that have the gift of teaching. The gift of teaching looks different on me than it does on Greg Laurie. And it looks different on Greg Laurie than it looks on Charles Swindoll. It's the manifold grace of God. When you see somebody that's gifted in an area that you're gifted in by the Holy Spirit, doesn't mean it's got to operate the exact same way. He goes on to say in verse 11, then if anyone speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. If you're going to, if you have the gift of teaching, if you then speak the oracles of God, if anyone ministers, serves, let him do so with the ability that God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That God would get the glory, that we would go, you know, this isn't a thing of man. This is something that God is doing. Then he just kind of breaks into praise. To whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The glory belongs to God. The dominion belongs to God. It means that he's king. He's, he has dominion. He has, is, is his domain. He has dominion over everything. Forever and ever. And he says, amen. It's like he just kind of breaks into a little bit of praise there. When we receive the Holy Spirit and receive the gifts that God's given us, and we minister it to one another so that God gets the glory, that God is exalted and God is lifted up and people are drawn to Christ. And it becomes something that is very powerful. I would much rather be a part of a move that God's doing than to learn how to do something so slick that it's the way that men would do it. Kingdoms can be built by men. Kingdoms can be built by God. Churches can be built by men. Churches can be built by God. Your faith can be something that you produce because of you, or it can be something that you surrender completely and totally to God. And say, Lord, I want to be a good steward of what you've given me. God's given each one of you a gift. Minister to one another and be a good steward of that gift. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, um, we... We think of this text and it starts off with the end of all things is at hand. We do believe that, that your desire is that we live as if today could be the day that you come back. And we don't know whether you'll come back in 100 years or 10 years or tonight. But we want to live how you want us to live. And we want to be hospitable and we want to walk in love and we want to minister to one another. We want to be servants. We want to take the gifts that you've given us and, and really make a difference in people's lives by demonstrating the love of Christ, not by our own ability, but by the ability that you supply. We pray that you would give us opportunities to do that. Help us to get out of our comfort zone and get to know people. Help us to be used by you. Help us to not love this world nor the things of the world. Help us not to love being comfortable, trying to be as comfortable as we can, but love your word, your gospel, and people who are perishing. We thank you that you give us your spirit. Fill us with your spirit. Lord, let us be full to overflow. Let us be baptized in it, empowered by you. Let us be shaken so that people around us would be drawn to you. And our lives would be meaningful and mean something. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.